0: Guys, welcome to a new episode of 100% Tilted Discussions with Winning Underdogs. We have a really cool guest today. Um, You want to talk about grit, bootstrap, and leaning into a dream when life kind of throws you a sideways curveball. I got a gentleman here in our studio today that knows grit like his first name, knows how to take a dream and not say maybe one day if, but goes, let's just make it happen. To take an idea start to make it work. And then as it starts to grow from a lot of hard work, begins to scale it and begins to grow it to now four years later, after getting laid off from his job to say, I'm going to do a food truck business. And we're going to dive in today to figure out exactly what it took for him to do that. But this guy is a human resident, a Cuban immigrant, Nicaraguan, Nicaraguan immigrant to now becoming a CEO of a thriving organization that takes other people's dreams of owning a food truck business and guides them along the entire process from idea to here's the keys. Now go build your dream. Guys, I give you Patrick Bolanos. Thank you for having me here. That was an awesome intro. (laughs) I'm really
1: humbled. Um, I'm not sure I uh, am. um, I'm just so humbled to be here that you'd think that people would want to hear
0: my story and I really appreciate it. Honestly, brother, that's one of the reasons why I think for all of us, we wanted to host you here. Because in such a entrepreneur era, and everybody wants to posture as a CEO of something and taking photos in front of Lambos that don't belong to them, and everybody likes the glitz and glam of being a CEO, being an entrepreneur. It is another thing of the work it takes as an entrepreneur, especially as a CEO, that you kind of have to do everything. Yes, sir. And it comes to a point when it isn't feasible to do everything. Mm -hmm. And you have to learn how to delegate and partner, which comes from a lot of trust. And when you're an entrepreneur, you trust those that you respect and you earn respect with people by their work ethic. That's right. By showing up, by doing what they say, by always coming through, by not bitching about what else do I have to do? Like you, you, as an entrepreneur, you're, it's 24-7. 24-7 nonstop. But you're also married? I am married. Four many, kids. Four kid four kids? Four kids. <laughs>
1: what are the ages? 15, 10, 3, and 1. Four and 1. You just turned 4 last week.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so I've got a 15, 13, and 2. There you go. That's fine. Oh yeah, it's bro. Fun, man. Oh. You know isn't the younger one isn't it kind of cool because you we were different dads with our with our oldest.
1: I was totally different. Mm-hmm. I was actually having that discussion with my daughter in our family at dinner the other night because they say I spoil the three-year-old and the two-year-old more than, <laughs> than I spoil the big kids. And they might be right. And <laughs> my daughter actually said it. The only reason you do probably do spoil them and you spend more time with them is because they got a different version of you. It made me a little- How old is she? She's 15. That's very observant. Yes, very observant. And uh, it kind of made me a little sad but because she did get a different version mm-hmm. of her dad when she was young. While I was there, I wasn't absent, I just wasn't the same. Mm-hmm. I wasn't focused on improving myself, on being a better version of myself then, so. How old are you now, Patrick? Uh, 41, Forty-one.
0: yeah. How long have you been married? Uh, going on 16 years. So, I wanna kinda start from young Patrick, yeah. to kinda get a feel, yeah. right? Yeah. You grew up in
1: Nicaragua? I grew up half my life in Nicaragua, yes. I was born there, uh, Civil War, I was born during the Civil War in 1979. My family migrated to the US in 1986, I believe. Wow, no kidding. Um, my grandmother on my dad's side is American. So we had that going for us where we could apply for um, residency here in the US because mm-hmm. my dad, one, he was a natural born citizen, two, his mother's American. And so we moved to the US and we immediately applied for our green cards. We got our green cards. And um, moving back and forth between Nicaragua and the U.S. Uh, so if our listeners are not familiar, Nicaragua, one of the poorest countries in the Western Hemisphere, mm-hmm. uh, ran by the Sandinistas in from 1979 to like 1992. Sandinistas, communist regime. Um, they pretty much took over private properties and started taking uh, private Companies, private properties, land, etc., controlled the government, uh, controlled the people with a fist. Mm. And so we exiled, we left. And so in 1992, we got a new president in Nicaragua, and that's when our family moved back after being in uh, between Dallas and St. Charles, Missouri mm. for over eight years. We moved back to Nicaragua. Then I went to elementary school there, sixth grade until I graduated high school. Wow! And when I graduated high school, I came to the U.S. after two years of Uh, Doing uh, college in Nicaragua. I went to St. Charles Community College, Lindenwood University, and then St. Louis University. I got my degree in six years. I'm not a doctor. (laughs) What's your degree? Uh, I studied MIS, so it's a um, management degree with a focus on management information systems.
0: Okay. Yeah. Did you have an idea of what you thought you wanted to do as a career? I had no idea
1: what I wanted. I wanted to to be a major league baseball player. That's all I remember when I was a kid. Did you play ball growing up? I did. I did a lot of baseball. Uh, I used to sleep with my glove in my hand and a baseball in the glove. Um, baseball is Nicaragua's glove? national pastime, so mm. you still um, have that glove? I do not have that glove. No. I don't know where it is, but I did use that glove. It was, it was a process of, uh, it was a process of elimination. Obviously, uh, you know, I'm sitting here. I'm not a major league baseball player, but I, I love major league baseball, um, and I want one of the things that I don't know if you knew this, but I have a baseball academy in Nicaragua. Where we helped underprivileged kids get the opportunity to sign with Major League Baseball. You do, we do, working wow. working for a dream baseball academy. And so on July second of twenty twenty one, we're gonna sign our fourth kid. He's signing with the San Francisco Giants.
0: Wow, yeah. Patrick! No, so it is.
1: Uh, yeah, it's one of. Oh I use gosh. what I do to funnel into my passion, which is baseball, and I want to produce Nicaraguan. Professional baseball players. My dream, my ultimate dream, mm-hmm. is to be sitting in a major league baseball stadium, watching one of our kids either throw out his first pitch or in the starting lineup, whatever that may be. But I want to see one of our kids uh, in the stadium here in the U.S.
0: Going back and forth, I'm sure that's hard from your home country, mm-hmm. right? Um, where that's those your roots. That's right. Those are my roots. Through so much turmoil, yep, and seeing so many people that you probably known that couldn't leave, mm-hmm. just the tumultuous, tumultuous journey of that country. And a lot of people may not even remember or recall what was going on at that time. Yep, uh, I remember uh, as a kid some of the stories on the news. You know, yep. I was I was born in seventy three, so I was six seven years old as that was coming through. My mom and dad were always glued to the news, right. But I remember Nicaragua. I remember uh, even the movie um, Blow. Mm -hmm. Remember that? Yep. Um, And then the one with, uh, what was his name? Tom Cruise. Uh, I think it was Tom Cruise where um, he was playing the pilot that was hired by the CIA. Yes, Yes, I know who you're talking about. Right? Yeah. Don't remember the name of the movie, but do you remember that movie? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, Again, it kind of gave a glimpse, right, uh, of... More on the drug warlord side of it, but a lot of the uh, the hostile things that were happening through a lot of these countries that are very close to the United States, mm-hmm. and so many people don't realize outside of the United States bubble, and unless you've been out of that bubble to a true third world country that is about survival of the fittest. Oh yeah, you don't banana realize. republic, bro, banana Shh. republic. It's a survival of the
1: fittest for sure. Mm-hmm. They will take your shit. This company, if the Sandinistas want it, they'll take it, and nobody will respond if they like your house they'll take your house I mean, um, ultimately if if you fight think you're going to lose anyway. nothing you're going to lose you can't do anything mm-hmm. it's completely controlled they own every single branch of the government there's branches just like in the u.s judiciary mm-hmm. whatever i don't even know what the branches are in nicaragua but they own every single one they own everybody in politics so yeah uh, perspective you want perspective I, I I have perspective. The U.S., mm-hmm. you have that American flag here. Mm-hmm. I'm a natural, I'm not a natural born citizen. I'm a naturalized citizen, mm-hmm. meaning that I had to go through the process of, you know, getting a test and all that other stuff. But I'm a 100% American. Mm-hmm. U.S. is, for me, one of the greatest countries in the world. Because I've seen, uh, I've seen shitty places. Nicaragua was a shitty place. I lived in Honduras, too. Mm -hmm. One of the most dangerous cities, uh, Tegucigalpa and San Pedro Sula. People have no idea what goes on outside of the U.S. I mean, there's a lot of crime here and, you know, there's some bad places. But overall, there's a lot of good people here. Mm -hmm. Everybody's working on the same thing. Everybody Mm -hmm. wants the same thing. Everybody wants to be better. Everybody, I don't know, everybody, you know, like, I know a lot of good people. And I've never met what you see on the news. I've never seen what you see on the news. Uh, maybe I'm lucky, or maybe it's just because, you know, it's kind of like being pushed. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an agenda. Yeah. I believe it. So, you go back often? I try to go back at least twice a year. Obviously, COVID threw a little wrench into that whole deal, but mm-hmm. I'm going back on uh, June 29th mm-hmm. to, for the signing of uh, Carlo Gasso with the San Francisco Giants. Hopefully, we'll be able to produce two to three, four, five. I want to have the premier baseball academy in Nicaragua. And uh, I'm going back with my 15-year-old daughter. I want to be able to create a little perspective also. She she grew up part of her life in Nicaragua. She misses it. She knows mm. um, what it's like. I don't want to say it's terrible because it's not terrible. You know, it's very homey. There's a lot of awesome beaches. The country is stable to to certain extent. Mm-hmm. So it's
0: a good place to grow up. Not controlled by the Sandinistas anymore? It is controlled by the Sandinistas. Okay.
1: They're a little bit more... Light, if you want to say, they've given up the tightest the grip that was as tight as they had it back in the early late seventies, eighties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but they still hold control of every branch.
0: Yeah, because all eyes of the world were on them at that time. Yeah,
1: but they they do it a little bit lightly now, mm-hmm. a little bit more under the table. Mm-hmm. They probably buy people more than they. It's more mafioso kill people, right? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, but uh, mm-hmm. it's a it's a great place. To create some perspective, one of the poorest countries on earth still needs a lot of help. Mm -hmm. So that's why I want to make sure to go back at least once or twice a year. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I was in Nigeria back in 2011, and that was my first international experience. (laughs) Talk about an eye-opener. You know, uh, even even I mean, I can't imagine, but Nigeria, even even, you know, the the two metropolis cities of Lagos and Abuja, Abuja Mm -hmm. being the capital. Yeah. When you're within the city limits where clearly people in in politics live and work paved streets, not necessarily the beautiful architecture that we have here with glass fronted buildings. Like it's a lot of concrete and cement. Uh, But as soon as you get out of that trash piles are 30 feet high. Everything's burning. Everybody has a little store that's a lean-to of something. And a gas station is going to be a kid with a moped and all these water bottles filled with kerosene and gasoline. Like, yeah. It's, it's just weird, right? It's yeah. And I remember when I came home, you kind of, I dealt with a lot of guilt mm. when I came home, right? How can, at the same time, I be living this when I get off the plane and I can grab me a Starbucks, yet 11 hours ago, I was breathing the dirt of survival.
1: Yeah. So you were asking yourself, "How? C- why me? Yeah. How come I am so fortunate? Mm-hmm. That's what that does when you when you go out and you mm-hmm. see these things personally. Mm-hmm. That's what it creates. Mm-hmm. I lived it, and Nicaragua. got I would go to bed thinking to myself, "Why am I on it? Because we didn't. We weren't poor. Mm-hmm. Maybe, uh, um, not a lot of money, but we had air conditioning. We had refrigerators. We had." people that were working at our house like maids and and mm. and gardeners and what did um, your parents do Did your your mom and dad both work or yeah my my dad was an employee pretty much. they were his family was entrepreneurial. My grandfather uh, was a doctor and he owned a coffee farm and several farms. They had a wow. cotton farm uh, back in the 1970s which was taken from our family uh, by the sandinistas. They lost everything, all private property. Oh. So they had to rebuild right from zero. Mm. So my dad, he got a degree and he got his master's degree and he got a job pretty much being a GM of maybe a general manager of a company, making I don't know seventy to ninety grand a, a year, maintaining our family, uh, that kind of that kind of thing. So uh-huh. we weren't poor, mm-hmm. um, but we had poverty right behind our house mm. where people living in shacks, not yeah. even a block away. I actually grew up playing baseball with 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 children that were poor. They didn't have shoes to put on their feet. They didn't have baseball gloves. They didn't have, they were living on less than a dollar a day. Yeah. And so they were my friends and I would go to sleep and I'd right before going to bed, I would ask myself like, why am I in this position? Mm. Why am I here? And they're over there. Mm-hmm. So I would always ask myself that I continue to ask myself. So I think it creates that perspective when people, when you start seeing the way that other people live, yeah, it creates a little perspective for you to say, Hey, I probably should be doing something, making an impact. Mm -hmm. So
0: I try to live my life that way. With enough grit and enough willingness, you can change. Yeah. Like where you are, you can change that physical state, emotional state, mental state, right? Yep. But you've got to, you've got to take that step, Mm -hmm. whether it's somebody, you know, because somebody could say, well, you had family. I mean, there's, where there's a will, there is a way, correct? Right, yep, just be extremely difficult. Uh, but you did get out of it, yep. One of the there are a couple of interesting things that I've found, uh, from those that are naturalized citizens of the U.S. Mm-hmm. You typically come from harsh conditions where they've come from, from yep. other countries, yep. and there's a much deeper rooted patriotism mm-hmm. than natural citizens that were born here because yep. we don't we don't know how good the food is in our plate because we've never had anything different. Yep. Right. That's right. And there's almost a, a, a sense or a drive of so much gratitude to be here mm. that I, we seem to see a lot more people that are naturalized that are immigrants that are the ones willing to put in the work to really work for a dream. Yeah. Right. Because we've seen the worst. Yeah. We've seen the worst part of this world and this is the U
1: S man, the opportunities. So let me give you a little story Cause I know I don't, we're not, we haven't gotten into it yet, but I left Nicaragua when I was um, 18, 20, 21, I got my degree, moved to Honduras and then I moved back to Nicaragua and I was a VP of commercial bank for Citibank in Nicaragua, right? (laughs) I had a really good job. I was, there was a family of four. I had two kids, but I was broke living paycheck to paycheck in Nicaragua, member of the of the uh, as a VP of a bank. As a VP of a bank. I was making good money. Decent money. For Nicaragua I was making really good money. Like yeah. you could count the number of people that had that type of positions with two hands in Nicaragua. There weren't that many. But I was still broke. I don't know what the hell I was spending my money on. Mm. I was spending my money on liquor. I was spending my money on 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 uh on alcoholism in Nicaragua is rampant. A really? lot of people like to drink. Mm. And so also I was in a position where I had to go out a lot to deal with customers. So the culture itself feeds into that alcoholism. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I was a member of the country club, you know, I played golf, et cetera, et cetera. And then Citibank decided to sell the bank. They made an executive decision, sell all the Central America, and they were looking for suitors. That's when I decided, you know what, I want to leave Nicaragua. I'm going to take this opportunity and start looking for jobs elsewhere. I got a job as a financial officer for Churrasco's restaurant group here in Houston. My my buddy's parents bought into that restaurant. They hired me. I moved to Houston. This was 2014. And, and I became wife and- my, my wife and kids, we brought them all over here oh. and I landed on my feet here. Making a de- a decent salary, six figures. And I was still living paycheck to paycheck. Again, like I had credit card debt. I I was just never getting ahead. Like I always felt like I was, you know, trying to catch up. I was overweight. I didn't focus on myself. I didn't read books like I read today. I didn't work out like I work out today, but, and then I got recruited by Peli Peli restaurant group. Yeah. So the only, I mentioned them because we're in Houston, you know who Mm -hmm. they are. So they're well-known restaurants here in Houston. I, I was their CFO. I was there for a year. And then, by listening to Andy Frisella's podcast. <laughs> MFCEO Project. The MFCO Project. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast October 2017, and he was talking about doing the right thing, speaking up for yourself. Mm. And so I did, and he got me fired. It was December of 2017, one week before Christmas. I was freaking broke. No, I'm When I say broke, I had $500 maximum to my name in my bank account. I didn't know where I was going to get the money to pay rent in January of 2018. I had planned a Christmas vacation to my sister's house, which I didn't have money to go. And so she lent me $700 to take my family to Chicago for Christmas. It's one of the hardest times in my life, but it's always it's also been the most I don't know the most uh, probably the the biggest blessing that I've ever had because that's when everything changed for me. Everything. Mm -hmm. I was crying in my car a beat up Honda civic. And I just remember thinking to myself, this is it. This is, I either keep going this route, keep digging a hole or I start doing something different. Mm -hmm. And I decided to do something different. And so focusing on myself first, focusing on the things I listen to, focusing on the things that I read. um, And slowly but surely I started to see opportunities. When you start working on yourself, the opportunities that were probably there before, you never saw because you were blind or deaf to them. And so a friend of mine offered me the opportunity to start selling food trucks. And he said, hey, uh, if you sell a food truck, I'll pay you a thousand bucks commission for every food truck you sell. And I said, hell yeah, that'll give me some money. Uh, It took me two days to sell my first food truck. (laughs) And so uh, we noticed there's an opportunity in the industry, the food truck industry has thousands of builders and not all of them live up to the reputation or not all of them say what or do what they say they're going to do. Yeah. So we noticed an opportunity for better customer service, not to say that our company is perfect, but we noticed an opportunity that we knew needed to be addressed. And so we did. We started building food trucks in my business partner's front lawn one at a time, one at a time, I had no idea how to build a food truck, obviously, Um, but what do you do when you don't know something and you want to succeed at it? You go straight towards it. Mm -hmm. So I went straight towards it. I started reading about it. I started going to Home Depot. I spent hours at Home Depot, hours, like from eight o'clock in the morning to like four o'clock in the afternoon, just learning about the pieces and the parts and the plumbing and the electrical. And we started to grow. I joined the RSA syndicate. I joined... Apex Entourage, led by Ryan Stuman, Arte Syndicate led by Ed Milet and Andy Forsella. And I just began to apply the lessons that they would teach us about core values, mm-hmm. about always leading with value to your customers, about doing what you say you're gonna do. If you're if you make a mistake, own it. And our company started to grow. We did nine hundred thousand our first year. million our second year we just closed on four and a half almost five million and we're going to do 12 million in 2021 (laughs) and we want to get to 25 yeah that's my plan Our, our our plan our goal is to be the largest food truck manufacturer in the world and the best food truck manufacturer in the world and and believe me the way that we've done it it's probably not conventional but it's working mm-hmm. and
0: you know, it's really we're, hard. We're, we're familiar with unconventional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to go back to something. Sure. Because you were a CFO six figure driving a beat up Honda.
1: Oh yeah. But Bel- that's what I call not. Um, what do you call it? When you like, when you're cla- your identities clash, I'm a CFO. Mm-hmm. I'm managing $25 million budgets. Mm-hmm. I couldn't manage my own home budget, but I was mm-hmm. managing $25 million budgets for other people. Mm-hmm. So crisis, identity crisis for sure. Right. So I knew that I was. A, I felt like a fraud mm. showing up in a civic as a CFO. What the hell? You're a CFO of a restaurant group and uh, you drive a little beat up CFO. That's when I
0: would care what people thought. Mm-hmm. When I, if I, could you would, afford something nicer or you just, you couldn't? No, I couldn't afford.
1: Cause if I did, it would put a stranglehold on my budget. Mm-hmm. Like everything was going out somewhere. Mm-hmm. Either it was rent or I don't pay paying loans debt that I accumulated for, I don't know, for being, for not being responsible the way I spent the money mm. pretty much.
0: When you, when you had that offer to come to the States, um, was your wife like, let's go? No. Really? She was not at
1: first. Mm-hmm. But after some convincing, I, my thought process and what I led with was the opportunities for our children. Mm. The United States is the best place for them to have the absolute best opportunity to get ahead in life. Mm-hmm. And when we had that discussion, um, she finally jumped on board. I moved... I moved by myself for the first four months. I still remember <laughs> picking them up at the airport after being away, after being uh, separated for four months. I lived at my friend's house for four months, and picking up at the airport was um, very emotional. I started mm-hmm. sobbing when I saw them come through the gate. <laughs> like uh, I, I'm, I'm a very emotional guy. I, yeah. you know, but I started sobbing from from the from the ex- excitement and just you know, we're here. Yeah. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So.
0: Did it still take her a while to really kind of get her, get her bearing and that we're here and this is, this is going to happen. Yes. My wife,
1: God bless her. She has put up with me. (laughs) We've been married 16 years. (laughs) She put up with the, with the worst, my worst version. In the beginning. In the beginning. I'm talking about bad, like drugs, alcoholism. Um, she stayed with me and she always supported my decisions. And now that I'm a better version of myself, that I focus on being better version of myself every single day, that I focus on core values, that I focus on. She finally lets me, gives me a little bit more like leeway, mm-hmm.
0: you know, but it's been, it's taken a while. As adults is, as- especially as men and i've seen i'm seeing this a lot as men are becoming a little bit more open yep. about our masculinity about mm-hmm. our journeys and you know 20s you're just supposed to be an idiot yep. <laughs> you're you're supposed to make mistakes <laughs> right right 30s is because you're still kind of in that frat guy mentality yeah right i don't think emotionally as men we're really prepared to be married until we're at least 30 hmm you know, we're still, we're still doing things based on kind of what other people told us to believe when we were younger. Yep. We're still trying to taste, we're still making mistakes because we don't really trust ourselves enough yet. 30s, we're, we're expected by society to just level up, yep. right? Get a career, get some footing, get established. But, it, it, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 48 this year in August. And I really feel like the forties have been the best decade mm-hmm. because I, I feel like I mentally, I feel like I'm, you're going to be 40. I'm going to be 48. 48. Yeah. Bro, you don't look a day over 40, bro. You look good. We just became best friends, bro. You look good. You look good. <laughs> Thanks, Seriously, man. Thank thought, you, man. Thank you. <laughs> shit, When I said 41, I'm like, this guy's like 36, 37. No, and we, it, it's been the best decade for me. Yeah. And I feel like that's the way that is for a lot of men. Okay. Right. Because we, 20s and 30s, 40s now, we're beginning to taste the failures taste the struggles but also being able to be mature enough to have self awareness mm-hmm. and be able to make changes that are leading us to that next level that we feel like we've been wanting but we didn't know how to get there yet on our own two feet yeah we're we're, we're humble enough to ask yeah. for help we're we're humble enough to to seek those that know more because when we are younger it's ego we we want to be the smartest one in the room right right and right. then we see by the time we we're in our 30s that that didn't get us very far mhm Right, because mm-hmm. the guys we're trying to impress aren't worthy of being impressed anyway. Yep. Right. Forties is that incredible decade. But imagine if we would have started sooner,
1: where we would be. I always, I see kids in my, in my masterminds that are there at twenty-one. Imagine being in a mastermind full of multimillionaires at twenty-one years old, with the maturity mm-hmm. of a forty-year-old guy. Mm-hmm. That dude is going to be far. Mm-hmm. When he's forty, so it, well, it's never too late to start, mm-hmm. right? And the sooner you start, the better. Mm-hmm. That's the message I want to give my kids. Like, like you only had one shot at this, man, one shot. Mm-hmm. So yeah, have fun. But if you want to make an impact,
0: you better get your shit together, mm-hmm. and you better go after it. You struggle with money personally. I did, right? and was feel free to move. Like you know, get a drink, or whatever. Like you're good I feel like I'm trapped behind this mic <laughs> no just I mean it, it pivots and everything man oh, you're good cool. um, you know with your family being somewhat entrepreneurial in Nicaragua uh, but I I think for one of the things that I our kids lose in school is not really being taught about money mm-hmm. money management yep right yep they throw school loans at kids they get they get them into debt really quick but they don't really teach money they don't they entice to spend but they don't teach about money yep growing your money right how to really create a life that you're not strapped to pay rent that's right right because it's almost like we're we're ingrained to survive Mm -hmm. you know i had a real struggle with money for a long time because growing up my parents were in survival mode 24 7 you know to at a very dark degree when i was in in high school adding water to the pot of beans kind of kind of broke right yeah eating a lot of corn tortillas i've been there as a kid not getting it as much you know, I had my bike. As I, a hated, I hated too. pasta when I was growing up. Really? Because that's all we would eat.
1: Mm. It took me a long mm. time to get a like, r- long time to get accustomed to eating pasta again. Because it's the one of the cheapest things you could get.
0: It's the association too. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. You just put pasta in a
0: bowl, and mm-hmm. that's what they would feed us. I can't do beans. You can't do beans. I can't do beans, bro. <laughs> Refried beans on my fajitas, I'm okay, but I'm yeah. not gonna. I do not want to even remotely cook a, a pot of pinto beans. There bro. you go. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost like a signal of giving up. Wow. Because I don't want to go back to that. How much... You know what I love the
1: most about the relationship, my relationship being changed with money? I, and I'm super grateful for it every single time. Mm-hmm. When I go to a restaurant, I don't look at the prices. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to order whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> and I don't care how much it is. Mm-hmm. I don't look at it on purpose. My mm-hmm. wife still looks at the prices. Mm-hmm. She still hasn't gotten past the fact that... That we struggled with money. Mm-hmm. My relationship with money sucked. Mm-hmm. Like Christmas time, mm-hmm. panic attacks, anxiety, knowing that we're going to spend, everything had to be put on a credit card. All the gifts had to be put on credit cards. Yeah. Going to Sam's Club to feed my family on a weekly basis was was a struggle. I didn't want to go. Mm-hmm. And then growing up, like you were saying, poor. Mm-hmm. My family struggled. My parents struggled. Um, new new kicks Maybe every four years. Mm, wow. Something like that. Yeah. You know what I mean?
0: So. That's like for real broke.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Is, you know, as, as you and I both too, in, in a lot of the things that, that we read, a lot of the narratives that we continually keep our focus on, that which we focus on, we're going to recycle. Yep. Right? Part of that for me is because it's familiar. And that's where I was in my 20s. I kept myself in financial hardship because that's what I was familiar with mm-hmm. growing up. Mm-hmm. Right. I remember my parent, my dad was working three jobs. Mom, my mom had a you know massive mental breakdown and dad was working three jobs and one of them was waiting tables. And I remember him counting the coins and dollar bills at night, Damn, you know, and their budget was envelopes, Yeah, you know, and six months behind rent, you know, the gas being shut off. So we had no, no hot water for about two months in the middle of the winter. Wow. Like, you know, this is in East Texas, right? Um, so I wasn't shown uh, success. I was shown survival. So mm-hmm. I had a real guilt about wanting more money. And it, it was a real struggle for me. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I would use PC terms to dance around the fact that I wanted money, but I didn't want money to go, look how much I have. I wanted money to be able to go, I can pay rent and I don't sweat it. Exactly. I can, I can uh, if my car needs work, I'm not going to sweat. Yeah. Like I had this one beater car and every time I went to go, go in it, I just hope it starts. Yeah. To be able to be in a place in life where that's part of what money can give is it removes the anxiety, because you realize if something does go sideways, you're going to be able to take care of it. Yeah. Versus, what am I going to do? That's. T- I mean, it sucks. Yeah. It totally sucks. What? Where did you? What was that moment like for you? Because. As men too, my dad told me this a long time ago. He said, uh, a man will never truly change until he comes to the end of himself. That is true. Like it's everything comfortable, everything familiar has got to be gone. Yeah. And you've got to be left with not the short term, I got to mitigate the pain right now, but wow, I brought myself here. Oh yeah. That's exactly what that, where I was. What was that moment for you? That's exactly where I was. Because only until we really believe we need to change, we're going to band aid for optics so that people get off our back.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? So imagine one, having to borrow money from your sister to go to visit her. That's when you lost the job with. That's with when I lost
1: the job, 700 bucks. Mm-hmm. And then my father in law having to loan me money to pay rent mm. uh, in January. Mm-hmm. And I think I remember I applied for unemployment, right? I qualified for, I think it was like $350, $400 a week for 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. That's when I knew. That's when I knew, shit. Um, I can't believe I've put my posi- my family in this position. And in that moment, in those couple of weeks where I would cry by myself in my car, that's when I knew, you have to change. Whatever you've been doing since you've been 20 has not worked. So make a change. And so I did. What was the first change you made? The first change I made was start listening to, to get getting more, getting around people Mm -hmm. that one motivated me or inspired me. Motivation is only short term, right? So you got to be inspired. And um, (laughs) there's this one video that I listened to. I think I listened to it every day for six months. It's a Denzel Washington speech. It's a baseball-related video. I have it on Facebook, saved. I'm going to share it with you. But Denzel Washington's speech about overcoming, um, and I think I I mean, I listened to it every single day as soon as I woke up. And I started practicing gratitude every single day. When you say practicing gratitude, what do you mean by that? Like actively saying thanks for the things that I I already had every single day writing them down on a piece of paper or saying it as soon as my eyes open up Mm -hmm. i say thank you thank you for my wife thank you for my kids thank you for the problems that i'm going through right now i remember saying thank you for covid because it's an opportunity to learn to learn thank Mm -hmm. you for what's happening in the world yeah just giving thanks for everything that's going on around me and that's what started to create a shift that's when you start seeing more opportunities like I said you start listening more I call it the day I woke up and the day I started listening because the universe I believe in the universe I believe in Jesus Christ the universe speaks to you and it speaks to you when you need something or you mm-hmm. want something and you put it out there you're gonna get it but if you're not listening you won't even see it mm-hmm. if you're not if you don't have your eyes open or your ears open for it mm-hmm. you're gonna miss it it's going to come right by and you're gonna miss it
0: What's the difference between somebody that, that puts a picture of a Lambo on their wall and somebody that has a picture on the Lambo wall? You have one that puts the picture up and never gets it, mm-hmm. but wants it. Mm-hmm. You have another that puts the picture up and they end up getting it. What's the difference between the two? Massive action, bro. Mm. Massive action. Because they both have it in front of them. Yep. Right? You're putting it out there in the universe yep. that that's something you do want to have. Right. But there's a big difference between the guy that it'll be the dream that never happens and then he, the one that. Pro-
1: that person probably has not attached the emotion that he needs to, to actually achieving it. Mm -hmm. One, when you get to it, I have, I I mean, I have no desire to own a Lambo, but you could, but but I could, if I wanted one, I could (laughs) probably go get one right now if I wanted to, but you know, I don't want one. (laughs) You know what I want? I want a baseball team. I want to own the St. Louis Cardinals. That's what I want. Mm. And, um, or something less. I don't know if I can achieve a St. Louis Cardinal that's billions of dollars, but hey you man. know, we're putting it out there to the universe. We're gonna take massive action and okay. get there.
0: <laughs> then we'll we'll reference this the day that happens.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. So, attaching a motion to something material, because um, I know Andy talks about it a lot on his podcast. Mm-hmm. He had that picture on his on his mm-hmm. on his wall, mm-hmm. and I think it all comes down to loving the process. Mm -hmm. And the process is the grind. The process Mm -hmm. is getting through the hardships and to keep going, Mm -hmm. right? Waking up every single day and making a decision, even even though maybe yesterday sucked, maybe you didn't achieve what you were trying to achieve, but waking up the following day and going after it all over again. Mm -hmm. You have to love that process. Entrepreneurship is hard. We built a company from zero bootstrapped it credit cards my my uh my credit score here in the US i think when i was growing my company was like average 550 maybe the most it, mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. i i owed about $25,000 on my credit card at all times it was the only credit card i had and i owed $25,000 on it it sunk my credit score yeah and but we kept going There were weeks we didn't know where we were gonna get payroll, dude. Like literally, we would not pay ourselves.
0: Sounds familiar. Yes,
1: (laughs) we would not pay ourselves. Like I would make five hundred bucks, and if I we didn't have the money, I didn't. I didn't get. I didn't get a check. Mm -hmm. My people got their check first. Mm -hmm. Funny story. I I don't know how 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 um, serendipitous it is or not, or if I I do believe in the universe, but we literally had like eight bucks in our bank account. It was a Friday afternoon. Every week we pay payroll. And a lady that had not come in in a couple months that we had quoted a food truck build for her came in. Out of the blue, we hadn't talked for months with a $45,000 check. He's like, I'm ready to get my food truck done. Here's a check. Boom. Out of nowhere. No follow-up, nothing. Um, we, We apparently had done a great job of presenting to them, but they were just waiting on the funds. They hadn't told us they were going to do it with us, and they just showed up one day. And it was the Friday that we needed it the most.
0: It's crazy. I don't wow. know. Yeah. Okay. So I want to I want to dive in here on, on a practical because I know that there's a lot of people in business, a lot of people that are aspiring to do a business, and we see so many optics. We see the when when things became fancy. Yeah. Right. The the day one that come up the struggle. Yep. Uh, if you'd be willing to open up a little bit because I, I I think you've got some practical lessons that some people can take some notes from. Sure. To be honest. Sure. So you came in and you were he's going to give you a, how many food trucks was he doing at that time when you when you came on because you got laid off. How long before you you went from being laid off doing unemployment before you got that gig? 3 weeks? Okay. Yeah. So a month? Okay. Yeah. So uh what'd your wife think by the way? About about you selling the food trucks?
1: Dude, I was just doing anything
0: I had to do. Right. Yeah she That's working too? No. No. So you got a wife at home, a couple of kids and you're wife like Wife at home.
1: Mm-hmm. We had three
0: kids. Mm-hmm. We had a newborn who was 8 months old. Man. Yeah. Sales is a tough gig. It is. It, it oh, you talk about it. And you okay, so sales to be really great, there has to be a level of confidence. Mm-hmm. Right? Because that comes off in how how you articulate in sales, yep. right? when you're at your lowest of lows man how do you how do you have the confidence to sell when you're at your low how do you, how did you emotionally create that so you could feel as though you could do it because i'm sure you were full of doubt just depression just I, what am i going to do there's a lot of uh suffering mentally mm-hmm. as a guy mm-hmm. so how did you emotionally navigate that to go i'm going to sell i'm going to i'm going to sell it I got to sell it, but then how do you sell with, with some shred of confidence to make that happen? So I'm a sales guy at heart. Mm. I've been in sales. I was in sales already Mm
1: -hmm. previous to my CFO positions, which are more of a back end, back office job, which I didn't really dig. And that's maybe I, that's maybe why I didn't really love those positions or get ahead in those positions or, Mm. and to sell anything you have to love what you're selling and you have to believe in what you're selling. Mm-hmm. Right. If you believe mm-hmm. in it enough, mm-hmm. you can sell it to anybody. Mm-hmm. And, and I, to this day, I still tell our salespeople what we do. We don't sell food trucks. We're helping people build their dreams. And that's how I convinced myself. Cause I knew we were helping people. And by being around people like the RSA syndicate, where they remind you of these things, mm-hmm. you lead with value first, regardless if, the sale happens or not, I was helping people make an educated decision to see if they could buy a food truck or not. Mm -hmm. That's what it came down to. And I fell in love with the process and I fell in love with helping people achieve. Everybody that walks through our door has a dream Mm -hmm. to own a food truck. So it's super easy Mm -hmm. because we're helping them. At the end of the day, if the product that you're selling, you can attach it to making sure that you're helping somebody What did you say the motto was for uh, one of your companies that we were talking about earlier?
0: We're in the self-confidence business. Oh, we're slinging happiness one meal at a time? We're
1: slinging happiness one meal at a time. Mm -hmm. You're not in the meal prep business. Mm -hmm. You're not selling meals. Mm -hmm. You're slinging happiness. Mm -hmm. People feel better. You're slinging confidence. Right. That's what we do. We don't sling food trucks. We sling entrepreneurship. We sling independence. We sling dreams. Mm -hmm. So we're dream builders. That's what we do. So that's easy.
0: Sold your first food truck in two days. Yep. Made a grand. (laughs) Right. I know that had to feel like getting above the waterline for a second. Yeah. but Then that's not going to cover all the bills either. No. How long before you sold the second one?
1: Um, A few weeks, but I also, I was doing catering gigs. So I was a caterer on the weekends making cash. So I had money to, Mm -hmm. to, uh, to sustain our family. One, I just knew I needed to get ahead. So that first one, okay, we got the money, boom. Let's focus on getting the the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth. Mm-hmm. And um, it started bec- it just started becoming easier as I got more grateful of the position that I was in. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably six months into the thing is when I decided to quit my catering gig. I was making an extra 400, 500 bucks a week as a catering captain for a mm-hmm. company. That I used to work for, you know, they're the first, there's the people that I was actually churrascos. I called my buddy Al and he said, Hey Al, man, I lost my job. I need help, dude. The best I can do is catering. You down? I'm down. I'll do whatever it takes, bro. Whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. So I would work on the weekends, Friday, Saturday nights, Sunday nights, Sunday afternoons, make some cash and then sell some food trucks nine to five. Literally building like, so here's a little tip for anybody that wants to start a business and you want to get some leads, Facebook Marketplace. It's absolutely free. Mm-hmm. Just create an ad and put it out there mm-hmm. and you'll start getting contacted. We would generate about 50 leads a day from the food truck stuff. Wow. But we had several ads. We would travel mm-hmm. and we would drop a Marketplace ad in that city where we were at just the same picture. Mm-hmm. I think Facebook cut on after a while if you use the same pictures. <laughs> so if you want more than one, change the pictures up. And it's a free place mm-hmm. to start getting leads. It's all about the leads, it's all about the follow-up, and mm-hmm. that's how we started.
0: So what was the picture, what did it say?
1: Of a food truck, it just said uh, food truck for sale.
0: And several pictures mm-hmm. of food trucks mm-hmm. on the picture. How many in, because you guys were at his house, right? Doing mm-hmm. the food truck builds in yeah, the front Yeah, we were yard. in the
1: front lawn of our business partner's house. How long had he been doing it? Uh, my business partner had been doing yeah. it 10 years, but he would worked for someone else. Okay. So the store, we went to him to start building the food trucks that we were selling because we were brokering food trucks mm-hmm. for other companies, buying shelves, finishing them out, and he would finish out the work for us. Okay. He would get paid for every job he did. Mm-hmm when we saw the opportunity, Hey, start doing our own. Mm -hmm. We were like, Hey Roy, um, uh, you want to be a partner with us? Mm -hmm.
0: And he said, yeah, Mm -hmm. came on board. And, uh, so at, when you guys at that point, how many were you doing at a time? Back then? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Probably four a month, maximum
1: maximum. Now, how many are you doing? We're doing about, uh 6 a week <laughs> 6 a week How long does it take to go from shell to delivery? From the time that we start it takes about a week. Wow. From the time we start it takes about a week. It used to take 4 weeks. Like selling selling the dream was hard at the beginning for our guys mm-hmm. because we were working outdoors. They were working outdoors. My office was underneath a, underneath a tree. In the front lawn of my business partner's house. you have a picture of this? Uh, I do, but not on my phone. We have it somewhere. But yeah, we're there. And uh, we worked in the heat, summer mm-hmm. heat, mm-hmm. Houston heat. You know how bad it is? Oh, it's, it's terrible, brutal. right? Brutal, right? <laughs> so we were out underneath the sun working. Winters, it could get pretty bad in Houston, right? So mm-hmm. it's, it's cold. It's uncomfortably cold. Mm-hmm. And um, I would tell them every day, hey, guys, this this is not how it's going to be. If you stick with us, this is not how it's going to be. Every single day, I would sell that dream to them. And it took us three years to get our first warehouse facility, which you guys should come out. It's about 30,000 square feet. Mm -hmm. Everybody's under roof. Mm -hmm. It could be raining outside. And before, we used to have to stop production when it was raining. Wow. Because, you know, you cut holes into the roofs and stuff. Everything gets wet. A lot of electrical stuff everywhere. So production stops. Mm -hmm. Now I go out there and remind them it's pouring outside. Hey guys, check it out. Remember where we were? So a very small group of guys stayed with us. Mm. A lot of them left and only one of them came back. Really? Yeah. Why'd they come back? He saw, so he's his brother and him started with us together. Right. One of them decides to leave. The brother stayed. The younger brother is now a supervisor with us. The older brother left, and now he's back. Now mm. his his brother is his supervisor. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he believed in us then. Mm. But he believes in us now. He sees the vision. Mm-hmm. And I tell him every day, "This is day, we're not going to stop here. This is not it right here. If you stick with us, we're going to own 10 of these facilities or even one huge facility. So, so you went from that house to then the facility you're in now? No, we went from that house to a used car sales lot that we rented out which was outdoors mm-hmm. and it had a you small had like little a, house
0: you so like a small little house and in, in a couple of carports or something like <laughs> yeah, that okay yeah. i remember i remember seeing your your instagram stories on yes, that stuff that yeah. that was where so we were like the rain with the tarps and the water dripping and generators running and yeah yep that was that was our second location so this, the house was kind of your office the house was the office okay which to this day we still don't know
1: what we do know We ask ourselves every day, like how did customers believe in us? (laughs) How did they walk into this and say, I'm going to trust these guys to build this for us. And it came down because we were, I think it came down to, you know, we're
0: legit trying to help people. I think in any of us, and when you're not, when you're not on that side of the table, mm-hmm. we can all read somebody who's disingenuous. Yeah. We can we can we can pick up on a snake oil salesman. Yeah. You can feel it. Like you can see their nonverbals. You can see the way they're talking. Cause when people have a passion of what they're talking about, mm-hmm. everything is directly invested into that passion of what they're really trying to communicate. Yeah. People that are just selling snake oil, you you can feel right. almost the cold. There's no expression. It's like take it or leave it. I don't care. Yeah. Right. We yeah. we can feel that, and because and yeah. people are especially at that level, and and we have that, you know, with, with our franchisees and people, because they they want to get into a dream, mm-hmm. right? And and you you see that in people. Th- this is their nest egg. Yep. Right. Yeah. And they're gonna they want to give it to somebody that they feel like they can trust, and that there's an intuition that comes from a life of experience. Going, I'm getting a good read on this guy, and mm-hmm. unless you're a real good Bernie Madoff type guy. That's a real snake. That's a real scam artist. Yeah, that can get one over. And they're out there, but it takes a little bit of familiarity and just always answering things right. But those people always karma always catch us catches up. You know the and one. If thing it I've, doesn't in this life, I'm sure in the next life it does. I tell you, I've seen, I, I've had courtside seats to karma twice. Mm-hmm. It was nice. I'm not gonna lie, it was yeah. nice. Um, but I have also seen those that are snakes they will, ha- their day always comes. It usually takes a while.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The good ones, they get, we get frustrated because we feel like the people that want to do it right are the ones that end up getting the short end of the stick.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But at some point, the snake will end up in the trap it of will. their own doing. It, it, you may not ever get a chance to witness it, but it does happen every single time. It does. And if you do the right
1: thing on a daily basis... Even if you don't see the progress, mm-hmm. just
0: keep doing it. It will catch up in a good way. I think you and I both know that as triathletes. Yeah. Sure. Oh yeah. The grinding and training when yeah. nobody else can see it, and yep. then you're going to toe the line one day, and then you got to oh, just man. Go from- don't get me started on Waco, bro. <laughs> <laughs> that sucked. Actually, it, it it's like uh, it's those lessons, man. Yeah. Right. Cause no matter whether it's a taking a cold shower or it's showing up when it's 105 with a heat index of 121 (laughs) and I'm still going to grind it out. And excuse me while I get my towel and wipe off my face. Yeah. um, There's, we need that. It, it, what was the, it was in GI Jane. Pain reminds us that we're still alive. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta embrace the suck, man. Do embrace the this. suck yeah you do have to embrace it and honestly people that so many people and i think this is where people get it wrong mm. in life we're we have this fear of ridicule mm-hmm. i think it comes up just from growing up in school and you know kids can pick at you and make fun because you're not wearing the popular jeans or whatever it is right and we're, we are we're afraid of being ridiculed mm-hmm. So when we make a mistake, we associate a mistake with being incapable, with being inferior, with being made fun of. When, when you pull all the optics aside and who, who cares what people are thinking, because people that are criticizing aren't the people that you need to listen to anyway. Yep, Right. exactly. People that are giving unsolicited opinions have no respect for themselves. And plus they have too much time on their hands to be analyzing what somebody else is doing. Yep, Right. right. But when we finally realize that without failure, there is no progress without making a mistake. There is no wisdom. You're actually going to learn because everything outside of, outside of practical tasting, feeling pain of a mistake, you're not gaining wisdom. You're just learning theory. Oh yeah. Right. Right. Wisdom. Practicality is where you learn how to build a business. That's right. Which is what you guys have been doing. That's what we've been doing. So you guys were now, you know, doing, doing four months. You guys are now doing six a week. When you went from the house in the front yard to, the car lot. How did you get the money to go? Was that a big risk to get the car lot to give you room to expand?
1: Uh, it was about. We needed about twelve thousand dollars up front. Up front mm-hmm. to put a deposit first month, last month, and the fir- and the security deposit. It was only like a four thousand dollar a month um, lease, but we needed about twelve grand. So yeah, we you know we dished out all the savings we had in the in the business. Cause we knew it was going to get us to the next level. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you're the pucker factor was high on that. <laughs> well, you go all in on yourself, man. And you know, you can do it mm-hmm. right. If you believe in yourself, you can get it done. And mm-hmm. so we did. And, um, slowly but surely we started to, was there know, a moment
0: where you were like, do it, should
1: we do this? Every single time. I think every big decision, mm-hmm. We're, we're right now we're facing a big decision is we need another facility. We've grown so much really? and we're, we're on a, we're on pace. We've already outgrown the facility we're in. We moved in about eight, seven months ago, eight months ago. And, uh, and we're looking at another facility right now. I actually, the, the, the agents we're working with, he's got a list of possible facilities close to where we're at now.
0: And I'm going all in dude. Man, brother, that is so cool. I'm
1: going all in, dude. There's no, there's no turning but that, back. But dude.
0: that's got to be hefty, nut, man. I mean, even where you're at now, when you when you went from that location, and how long were you there at the old car lot? To where you two Three,
1: years, two and a half years.
0: Yeah. When you when you realized you guys were going to have to to make a change and, yep. and get a different facility,
1: in the middle of COVID, <laughs> it was June or July, like in the middle after the shutdowns and everything. Yeah. We decided we can't stay here. This is going to limit us. Not only did we oh, did we get out. We continued to pay for that lot, wow! Until almost a couple of, a couple of months ago, where we so, bought out the contract.
0: With restaurants closed, was that actually a great boom for food trucks? Oh yeah, mm.
1: everybody wants to be outdoors. Mm-hmm. So the industry itself was already on an uprise before COVID. Mm-hmm. COVID came and put gasoline, I mean, thousands of gallons of gasoline mm-hmm. on a small little fire, and it just went through the roof. Mm. And we're having to deal with the repercussions of the whole pandemic where factories had shut down. There's no access to materials. Demand is through the roof. Supply is down. Prices are going up. Mm -hmm. We're getting hit with surcharges on all materials. Having to deal with customers right now, knowing that we had promised them something in 12 weeks, and it's going to be 20 weeks. So that's something that – that's what keeps me up at night right now. Right. Right. A lot of people, you know, they ask what keeps you up at night. Not even not being able to deliver on what we said we were going to do to customers that signed on the dotted line before we saw this whole
0: thing yeah. unravel. Yeah. So, what'd that do to your bottom line when a lot of uh, materials the the cost just went through the roof? Right now, we're seeing we're seeing an impact on our bottom line. Mm-hmm.
1: We've up we've increased our prices. Mm-hmm. We know they're not going to come back down right now. Yeah. So. We're a little worried, right? We're going to sign a lease to start building our own, our own trailers because we have to, mm-hmm.
0: I can't, we can't depend on anybody like else. Literally anymore. from the axle up, you're going to build it from the zero, from zero up right now. You're building trailer. you you buy the trailers and then you build on, we buy the shell mm-hmm. and we complete the shell. You're now going to do the whole thing. We're going to do the whole thing. <laughs> I'm not going to depend on anybody. I'm going to control the whole process. Me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is so cool, Patrick. Yeah. So when you guys got the new facility and you were still paying on the, on the, the car lot where you had, I mean, clearly your revenue was, was increasing, but that had to still be a, it's like when you it got. to pissed the- me off every single month, cutting a check to the old
1: landlord. Yeah. I mean, I love the guy. Yeah. Really nice. But you're paying for something you're not using. We're paying for something we're not using. We offered, man, I sent him somebody that wanted to purchase his lot. Like this dude was ready to give him the cash and they Mm -hmm. couldn't come to an agreement on a stupid clause on a contract. And I was like, man, this guy wants to, that's when I, when I knew this guy wants to hold me into this lease until the end, Mm -hmm. we still had another two years left on it Mm -hmm. and we made him an offer and he took it, we
0: got out. So as you're growing your business and you guys went from a house with a, you know, building trucks in in the front yard to then this car lot and you guys are maxing out your, your own personal leverage to be able to make payroll, and you're hustling to make mm-hmm. sure that the business can, can not only sustain itself, but also grow. Because you're yep. thinking the next step, like, well, if we're doing you know, X amount this month with the facility that we're at, well, what's that gonna mean per square foot if we get a bigger facility, which is also gonna meet, require more staff, um, more overhead. But if we do it, we're now basically moving the line in the sand like Marcos Sotrel did when yep. he was in Afghanistan, and I heard this story that um, he was paralyzed mm. from the chest down, yep. and he crawled for nine hours. Nine hours. Nine hours. And what he did, and I cannot wait for us to literally hear this from him in a few days. He grabbed a rock, and he would reach as far as he could, and he would draw a line in the dirt, and he would crawl on his forearms. And if either he was going to die, he was going to be dead, or when his feet crossed the line, he would then do another one.
1: I love that dude.
0: I mean, Nine hours. doing what we do is nothing compared to what he did. But yeah, you have to set those milestones. But if you don't do the milestone if you don't give yourself the the, the mailbox or the stop sign to get to, what do you have to really reach for? You call it the mailbox, right? Mm-hmm. In your triathlon, and yeah. you're running
1: and you're biking. Yeah, man.
0: Yeah, I call it the tree. It's like the next tree. I got to get to that yeah. that tree. Yeah. You know, as kids though, playing baseball, you know, as a kid playing football, go along, go to that, go to the truck. Mm. Right? Yeah. When your buddy calls you out, goes, go to the truck. All right. Boom. I'll go. Let's go. you gonna meet me there though. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In your partnership with, and how many partners do you have? Just the one? We're three, three guys, three guys. How does that relate? Like, do you, each of you have a different role? Yes. Who decided who was going to be the CEO of this thing? Um, I
1: think ultimately after they saw how much I invest in myself mm. and read about scaling businesses, it just happened naturally. Mm-hmm. Here's a story. It's a funny story. Not so funny, but we were four partners. Mm. And the partner that I started the business with is no longer with us. Really? Yeah. The partner that I started the business with
0: He tried you were selling for selling for he he tried
1: to convince the other two partners to to basically not buy me out, but push me out Mm. because we didn't agree to a few things. Mm -hmm. We're totally different people, obviously, like everybody is right. We didn't get we stopped getting along. Right. And he went behind my back to try to convince the other two partners to kick me out. How'd you find out about that? I found out afterwards. Okay. And, um, that make you mad, mad. Yeah. So here's what happened. (laughs) We were, I don't want to go too deep into this story, but sure. Two, two businesses that one is a finance company, helping people finance food trucks, the manufacturer. So my business partner owned in this one and in this one, Mm -hmm. but he would, go towards his other company more Mm. and use our company manufacturing as more of a cost center okay and i made a suggestion once for us to be able to be more in tune and for us to row in the same direction i offered hey why don't we find a way where we can all own parts of each other's companies so that we can all go row the same direction and grow together Mm. apparently he didn't like that And he showed his hand and basically threatened to shut us down. Said, I own this bitch and boom, I want to shut you down. And that's when I made a commitment. You know what? F this I'm going all in. I'm going to grow this and we're never going to depend on this over here. Mm -hmm. And we did, we started investing in marketing. He didn't like it. We were spending 500 bucks a week in marketing and it was working. Like we would basically get a new deal for the marketing. Uh, that we did on Instagram <laughs> and um, we just started the clash. he didn't he didn't he didn't we didn't we didn't like each other after a while mm-hmm. that happens we didn't know each other before we became partners a whole lot but we became partners from one from necessity I went in because I needed something he offered me half of something and it transformed into something else That's a whole story in and of itself so we started the company I raised money to start a restaurant We didn't start the restaurant. We used the money to start building food trucks. Gotcha. And so all of a sudden one day he decided, you know what? Hey, guys, here's an offer to buy me out. Boom. Puts it on the table. We discussed it. And we said yes. Sign on the dotted line. And he's no longer part of the company. I find out later that he tried to go behind my back to bankrupt the company that we were in to start a new one. And the other I, two. Yeah. The, I tell this story because you just asked me a question about how we decided who was going to be the leader. Mm-hmm. I didn't decide I was going to be the leader. I just decided to go all in. I mm-hmm. decided to go all in on myself. I decided to go all in on our company,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which I still felt a little hesitant going all in on a company where somebody that I we didn't get along with would benefit from. So, yeah, I would still feel like a little... Uh, Oh, maybe I shouldn't do this because it's gonna benefit somebody that isn't really doesn't believe in what we're doing right and they told them no obviously because we still we own the company mm-hmm. and that's when I knew that you know what I'm doing something right I didn't ask to be in that position yeah it just happened mm-hmm. and they trusted it they tr- we trust each other it's something that we have Built. It's something that we work on every day. Communication. They let me make decisions for our company that they trust. um, I'm making
0: for everybody's benefit. Right. So that's where we're at. That's leadership, though. A lot of people uh, confuse when you're leading a a group of people or even just one person to uh, ultimately to, to reach a goal when. Financially, it's going to benefit everybody mm-hmm. or reaching a goal is going to benefit everybody. But people confuse manipulation with leadership. Yep. Manipulation is leading people down a path that's going to benefit you as an individual. Yep. Leadership is about guiding people down a path that's going to benefit everybody. Yep. Right. Yep. And them. And them. Individually. Yep. But it's not you first. Exactly. Right. That's where a lot, I think uh, people with a boss mentality mm-hmm. get it wrong. Those are the ones that end up failing, right? Because they can't, they can't get past their own ego. Right. Me first, where you guys made sure your people were paid first. Yep. Right. Yep. Now, you said you you raised some capital to do a restaurant when you were doing the food trucks. Right. Yeah. So why go why do food truck and then and a restaurant at the same time? So because I mean, a restaurant in and of itself.
1: Oh, yeah. 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 So here I'll go back. I as a CFO of two different restaurant groups, Mm -hmm. I knew how to raise capital. I was Mm -hmm. doing it for someone else. We raised a million dollars on NextSeed for one of the restaurants that I was a CFO at. And um, I actually was responsible for the entire paperwork for two and a half to three million dollar SBA loan Mm -hmm. for a new restaurant. So I had knowledge on how to raise capital and what Mm -hmm. it took to get a loan from the SBA. Mm -hmm. And I was doing it for someone else. And so this person that we became partners with, we were that I became partners with offered me the opportunity to own one of the restaurants that his family owns. Mm. And he said, if you raise the capital for one of the units, I'll give you 50%. And that's how our company was born. Wow. So our LLC was born 50, 50 me and him. I raised $75,000 in two weeks after getting fired, doing catering gigs and selling food trucks. So we started selling trucks and then we started selling more trucks and all of a sudden we were like, hmm, uh, do we want to start a restaurant where we're going to have to slave and the margins are low? Or do we want to go into an industry where, one, we know we can do something better, margins
0: are better, mm-hmm. and we can create a bigger impact. And so that's what we did. So there's, do we know who you talk to? Some say the way to build wealth is multiple streams of income. Yep. Now, a lot of people think that's going to be an Amazon business, it's going to be an e-com business, it's going to be a brick and mortar. Mm -hmm. They're thinking of all these things that require a considerable amount of time to master. Yep. Or else you're you're going to have all these irons in the fire, you're not going to be effective with anything. Right. Where do you think people misunderstand that statement? Because it is true, but where do you think people get that wrong? I think they misunderstand that and they
1: get it wrong with timing. Become a master of one thing first excel the most you can grow it as much as you can get that piggy bank as big as you can mm-hmm. and then start looking elsewhere mm-hmm. right i didn't well, i have some investments we have some investments we just invested in mm-hmm. Um, we're investing in vertically integrated businesses that make sense with our company mm-hmm. so for example we're investing in inevitable we're investing in a prep meal company And we're investing in a taco business. That lines up with what we do. I build those for a living. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to show our customers that we know how to do what they want to do. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be underneath the umbrella of something that we already do. I'm not going to go out and invest in something that I don't know.
0: Like a car dealership or something. Like a car (laughs) dealer. I'm not going to go do a car. I'm not going to go do (laughs) something.
1: I'm going to start. We're gonna start manufacturing shells from scratch. That's vertically integrating my company. That's a that's a that's another stream of income. It is another stream of income, but it's underneath the right. same business. We're gonna do stu- we're gonna do a social media agency. Our social media agency is gonna serve who? <laughs> yeah,
0: all our customers. They uh-huh. need the service, dude. That is so fantastic. You know, honestly, what you're creating, and this is we talk about this. This is what we've done here is we have created an ecosystem to build entrepreneurs. Exactly. Right? That's what we want. With with so many supportive services as a franchisor to help them succeed. Correct. Right? Yeah. And for a nominal fee, yeah, you get a lot of back-end support. Exactly. Because when you when something goes sideways, you call, you call corporate and we're going to answer that question for you. We're going to help you through it. Um Yeah, that it because that's exactly so. Our food trucks, that, imagine this. We started, we started, we're starting, you know, we're helping you start a food truck. Because you're literally turn, Come in with a dream. You help with financing, you help with the entire build out, the design, the permitting to get them ready to rock and roll. And then yep. it's like, here's your keys.
1: See you later. That was the deal before. Now it's okay, wait a second. You need help with marketing. Mm-hmm. We know how to market. Here's a little extra service that we can provide for you. Here's, Man, this here's is so
0: good. Patrick. Here, here's access to,
1: here's access to our bookkeeping company. Yep. They're going to run your books. They're going to help you save taxes. They're going to help you. we are going
0: to crush this. Here's,
1: here's the lit, here's the POS merchant acquiring companies that, that you can use. And so it's more like, it's like an environment. It's like a, you know, they, they're getting everything and access to a business in a box, pretty much. hmm we've already learned our miss we learned on building and who to access to and what we need so that's what we
0: want to do we want to share that with everybody because when people get into this and correct me if i'm wrong it's like any business you're you have to be a a jack of all trades to a degree but you're coming into it with you may have you may want to just cook brisket all day yep right you don't know how to do social exactly you don't know how to do the bookkeeping you don't know how to do a lot of these you know knowing where you can and cannot go and help with that right yep you guys are going to create an an uh, an ecosystem, an
1: ecosystem that
0: you're not just getting a trailer, you're getting not just getting a food truck. You're getting, you're buying into a complete supportive entrepreneurial machine.
1: Exactly, we're <laughs> building their entrepreneurial machine. I love that. I'm going to start using that. The
0: community, it's a community because then too, all these owners operators are. You're going to be able to keep. You're going to be doing kind of your own arte. You're going to. I see, I see what you're doing now, <laughs> man. This is amazing,
1: Patrick. Yeah. We have our website set up real food truck owners, that's a community. It's our community. But you can only get in if you have the mindset. You can only get in if you're willing to learn. You can only get in if you're willing to share valuable information and helping other people succeed. We've seen in the food truck industry since, it can be a very scarcity mindset to run a food truck. Because they're small. You don't have space for inventory. Your revenue can only grow so much before you need another unit. Mm-hmm. it's really hard to do right so there's a lot of scarcity that you have to overcome right. if you want to own a food truck
0: empire so we want to help break down those barriers so i want to kind of dive in on food trucks yeah because it you know the movie chef love it oh my gosh i, I that's one of my favorite uh, favorite movies it's a really good movie um have you seen it jason Okay, it's on Netflix. Uh, it's um, what's his name? I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> uh, he's a guy in uh, Iron Man, yeah. His
1: buddy, what's his name? Iron Man's um, he like, directed it, yeah.
0: He was also in Swingers, old school movie. <laughs> I don't right? remember that movie. Uh, John, John, John Fabro, so restaurateur, amazing chef, basically just gets shredded by a reviewer. And uh does a food truck reluctantly because they feel like that's taking a step down, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Does a food truck, his ten-year-old son's doing a social media killing it on Twitter. Yep. And uh what I love is the serendipity of it was the the food truck guy that came on the set of Iron Man that evidently had a well known brand of a food truck and ended up becoming the consultant to teach him how to cook all the food on that show. Okay. And then he ended up doing the show on Netflix that They're then cooking together, right?
1: Yes. I love that. Yeah. I had no idea that's how they met. Yeah. I
0: had no idea. Like, he knew of this food truck guy. Yeah. Right? Uh, They got him on set, and then he got to meet him, and then it kind of sparked the idea of the show. Yeah. Or the movie. Yeah. But there is a lot of allure about a food truck. Like, uh, you don't really see, as a food truck owner, that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Because you're getting up early. You have to. You're, uh, now you probably, after your day's done, which probably lunch, maybe afternoon, then you got to do your Sam's run. You got to get everything prepped for the next morning. It's going to be a probably five, 6 a.m. wake up mm-hmm. or get that thing cranked up because yep. depending on where your stops are, but what is something that people kind of, not to diminish somebody's dream of a food truck, but what are a couple of things they need to know before they jump in that's really going to help them make that good decision?
1: Um, sweat equity is, is going to be, probably one of the most important factors, you're going to be sweating. Mm -hmm. The saying, if you can't stand the heat, stay out of the kitchen, Mm -hmm. is absolutely true. For any kitchen, Mm -hmm. especially for a food truck, because the heat is almost unbearable. Mm -hmm. There's not a whole lot you can do about heat. When you have an extractor fan pulling out all the air, you can put some fans down, right? You're going to be standing all day. Mm -hmm. Physically, it's going to be tiresome, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to step into knowing that's
0: going to be hard, physically. What kind of margin can there be though if you own a food truck? As an owner,
1: twenty-five mm-hmm. percent bottom line. Yeah, uh, you sell ten thousand dollars, you make twenty-five hundred dollars that day. If you know what you're doing, mm-hmm. if you know your numbers, mm-hmm. if you know how to price your menu, if you know how to do inventory, if you know how to eliminate waste, um, etc. It's just like running a restaurant except you're on wheels. Right. And so, um, it could be very lucrative. I got customers doing ninety thousand a week in sales, out of taco trailers. It's insane. It's <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah.
0: Off of how much of an investment to get that truck up and running?
1: Uh, Fifty grand, maybe a little less.
0: I'm sure they didn't start at ninety a week, but uh, you know. Okay, so realistic. Let's let's talk real numbers for somebody that's thinking about getting into it. You're talking about somebody that got all their numbers figured out. They got their numbers figured out. Right. They have eight or 10 units now. It's crazy. Which is what you're building within your network. Yep. To help people out of the gate, have a lot more wisdom and guidance. Yep. Right. And we're doing it ourselves right now.
1: mm. We have a taco business. Mm. We partnered up with some influencers here in Houston. I don't know if you know heavyweight music, but heavyweight music. A couple of big guys, they dance in the the halftime show, the Houston Rockets. (laughs) So we did a video at our shop. Dancing the Troquita song. I remember that. Yeah, so they're like, you know what, we are, we want to start a taco business. You know what, you guys, let's do it. I believe in them. Mm. Their family is working in it, mm. and we came out of the gate strong. We've had some days. You know, it rained at a club where they were at, and mm. sales were only three hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. But we understand that. We know there's going to be days. It's going to be a roller coaster right now. Mm-hmm. Until we get their, we get their name out there. We lock in the products that we're serving, our dishes. But we know that if we put in the work, we know we're gonna have a truck that does at least 10 to 15,000 a week in sales. That's our goal. We gotta get you guys to a a
0: tune-up event. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah, man. Yeah. Whether it be one of our corporate meetings or like at a VIP thing at at one of our shops or something, that would be cool. We are wow. definitely have to do that, man. Let's do it. Okay. And when we get bowl too, we'll do Everbolts. Oh, man. Let's bring some acai bowl. Come on, man. Let's roll. Yeah. <laughs> so for somebody that's getting into it, when they when they get the keys to that thing, um, realistically, how long does it take before they can really get their numbers figured out and making a buck? Six months? No, I don't, man. I would say- On average.
1: They'll know in the first three months mm-hmm. if it's working or not. Mm. They should know immediately.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But you guys were asking me earlier. How I mean, what do I think is probably one of the most important factors to to succeed in this industry? Mm-hmm. And I think in any business, you have to nail down your marketing. Mm-hmm. People don't know you exist; they won't come to you. Mm-hmm. And so, I have a food. We have a food truck group, a community mm-hmm. of almost twenty four thousand people that want to uh, that want to either invest in one or already own one. And I share. I go live almost in that, in, in that group almost every day. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I tell them is, listen, you're not going to get anything from your menu from me. Your menu is your menu. Your dish is your dish. That's your responsibility. You're passionate about it. You know what you're serving. But we're going to help you make sure that you price it correctly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Make sure that you know people know you exist. Because mm-hmm. once you get somebody to your truck, make sure you can get them to come back. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be on your menu. I can get people to your truck. Can you keep them? And mm-hmm. can you bring them back? Mm-hmm.
0: That's going to be up to them. John Tafferty's like that. Once you get them a fourth time, you've got them. Exactly. Right? There you go. But the marketing is for that fourth visit. It's right. not for the first. Mm-mm. It's the fourth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Keep them
1: coming back. Yeah. And that's going to be service. And that's going to be your, your 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 menu. That's going to be your dish. Wow them. Do something different. Mm-hmm. And they'll
0: keep coming back. So people think food trucks, they eat taco trucks. Yeah. Right? I uh, saw a crawfish truck. You were actually in Valley Ranch near me where I live mm-hmm. with a customer out there. Uh, last year, I think. Maybe it was earlier this year. I forget yeah, what it was. Yeah, BB's. We did a, for,
1: we did a trailer for them.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got barbecue. Uh, you talked to the guys that had uh, the lobster truck, right? Main's, main lobster. Yeah. Cousin's main lobster.
1: Yeah. Fantastic story, by the way. Yeah, Everybody should go check out that uh, episode that I did on How many podcast. trucks do they have? They have 50 plus. <laughs> plus, plus, uh, plus brick and mortars. <laughs> Plus an online business. They partnered up with a, with a shark on Shark Tank.
0: Uh, who 10 years it? ago, Barbara uh, Corcoran. Yeah, Barbara, that's right. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So where do you think is a space or a, a type of food that hasn't really been tapped yet for Oof, a food truck? That's a great question. And I know the
1: answer. I'm going to mm-hmm. share it because I don't really care. You know, you know, if you get an idea, go do it. Mobile teppanyaki trucks. They're a big hit in California. What is that? You know right. the hibachi? Yeah. Where they cut up your your yeah, steak and stuff and like that, yeah. Bah, 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 right in yeah. front of you? Yeah. So mobile hibachi trucks, they're, for some reason, they're successful out of the gate. Out of the gate. Hibachi trucks. Hibachi trucks. Mm-hmm. Have you seen a hibachi truck in Houston? Mm-mm. There's probably one or two. It, there's probably one or two in Florida. There's probably one or two in Utah. But there's about 50 in, in California. They've figured it
0: out. How fast could you get one cranked out? A hibachi truck? Mm-hmm. If I wanted to, mm-hmm. three weeks. Who's ready to roll? roll? Let's go. But I want to be a partner in that hibachi business. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want a piece of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With the popularity of food trucks and it gives people a way to get into the food service industry without doing a brick and mortar that can be insanely expensive. Yep. Overhead, like such a you couldn't even chew that thing, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you've you gotta you gotta you gotta be liquid enough to weather that storm. Yep. Right. But yep. a food truck, you can get into it. Have you seen anybody go from food truck to brick and mortar and still have both and be able to almost use food trucks as the marketing for your restaurant? Yes. Yeah,
1: we have a customer here in Houston. He's a taco business. He mm-hmm. owns four different mobile units. He bought a brick and mortar, and keeps growing. Wow. Yeah, he's one of our customers. Really? There's been, I mean, t- stories are rampant in the mm-hmm. food truck industry where you start with a food truck and you go brick and mortar. Mm-hmm. And so, how many staff do you have? We are about, on average, thirty two, which between full time, part time, mm-hmm. thirty two employees
0: culture is a big piece for you. Yep. Mindset is a big thing for you. And you personally have invested into yourself with Arte, with apex, with your monthly reading, with things to help yourself with a lot of people. They don't necessarily see the value in that. Mm -hmm. Right. A lot of times, what I want to read a book, like I want to go home and i want to swipe all night. Right. I want, I want to, I want to post and ghost. like, I want to slide into people's DMS. Right. You, you want to do anything but work. Yep. Right how do you instill and grow a mindset with all of your team do you only focus on your top line leaders and let attitude be reflective of leadership or are you personally involved in like what do you either implement or encourage or do as the ceo of this company Mm -hmm. how do you really develop and build a, a legitimate culture
1: okay That's a great question. I think most successful companies or not, if not all successful companies have to have a set of core values Mm -hmm. that they use to make daily decisions Mm -hmm. from hiring and firing to promoting. It has to be based on core values. Mm -hmm. I believe in that wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. And so our company, our leaders, our partners, we came together and we designed our core values, teamwork, honesty, always be learning, et cetera. And we use that as a framework to make decisions on a daily basis. Our shop used to be a freaking mess at the end of the day, no cleanup. And now every single day, everybody knows that at 5.30, we're spending half an hour, 45 minutes cleaning up because that reflects on us. The following day, if you show up to the shop and everything is everywhere. It just creates an environment of, you know, not conducive to being productive. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to do, especially in a blue collar environment where we have fabricators, plumbers, electricians. It's a lot of people that are focused on their daily activities. But one, I let my action speak for itself so they've seen the change. I've lost weight. I invest a whole lot of time in reading and being around these masterminds. They see the growth the company is having. So they see that the things that I'm doing, my mm-hmm. business partners also, are producing results for us. We're being in we're in networks that we weren't in before, mm-hmm. getting connections to somebody like Jeff Fenster or Dan Fleischman for mm-hmm. Um That didn't happen before. Mm -hmm. showing them the people and the companies that we're working with. They're not all mom and pops. We're working with some very important companies now in the Houston area, in the Dallas area. And I think that speaks for itself. So as a leader, I like to think that, you you know, I'm learning how to be a leader. I'm learning how to delegate more. I'm learning how to build teams so we haven't perfected it yet. Mm-hmm. We're not perfect. I don't think we'll ever be perfect. It's gonna be a journey that we're gonna be working on every single day. But my team, I know they trust me. I can see that when I speak and I ask them to implement certain things, they, they, they take it to heart and we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. Our culture's not there yet. I've been to First Form. That's fucking culture. <laughs> I've been there. We're not Massive there. that thing. You should see how s- that place is. I don't, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to hard to explain how mm-hmm. impressive it is. Mm-hmm. I've been at the first form headquarters. I've seen how how they just come together to build something exceptional,
0: something bigger than them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We're not there yet but we will be for your guys that are, you know, in, in manufacturing, fabricating down there on the floor and they're hourly could be full-time part-time. Yep. How do you help foster them to begin to grasp a better version of themselves every day when they come to work?
1: We put them, we put them on teams Mm -hmm. led by our supervisor, the ones that have been with us the most Mm -hmm. and they have to stick to our guys until they feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And we're building and we're giving them more responsibility. Mm -hmm. Um, Before, I would be outside like more of a micromanaging, Mm -hmm. asking what the hell are you doing doing that or Mm is this how you do this? Or now I just let our supervisors that have been with us since the beginning because I trust them. Mm -hmm. I trust them to make the decisions for our company in the best interest of our company, in the best interest of our customers, and in the best interest of our team members. I was actually having a conversation with them yesterday. You guys need to take more action. Just do, don't l- let fear hold you back. We, we're going to make mistakes. It's going to happen. But if we learn from them, that's all I can ask. Mm-hmm. Nobody gets fired for making a mistake for, for, be, for, for initiative. Nobody gets let go or, or reprimanded for initiative. Mm-hmm. But we do speak up when we cut corners, right? When we oversee things and then not take action and let a trailer leave when something could have been done beforehand. So I'm—we're building that culture. We're not there yet, dude. We're not there yet. But the people that we have—they're great people, and they're learning, and they can—I can see that they want more. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's all I can do. We're reading the book here as a company, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Yeah. And uh, one of the elements, we're doing a, a habit a week. Yep. And uh, was it uh, in habit three? They're talking about just straight up be proactive. hmm Right? Yep. Because so in life, we're just, we're passive. We're always in the defense. Right. Which ends up creating a lot more unnecessary stress and anxiety because we know there's some things we should do, mm-hmm. but we don't because either we're not feeling it yet or... Um, you know, I'll put it, I'll do it tomorrow. Like and it happens to... at all levels. It yeah.
1: happens to me. I'm sure it happens to everybody at the yeah. shop. Mm-hmm. There's some t- I'll tell the customer, I'll send you a quote in the next, I don't know, 24 hours, 48 hours. Mm-hmm. And I'll wait last minute to get it done. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and it creates anxiety, it right? It does. Yeah. I can't stop thinking about the damn thing. Yeah. But if you just go ahead and get it done, you're over it. Yeah. You're, you're moving on. That off, or right? delegate it, right? Right.
1: Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm building now a team to be able to handle sales. I'm lifting myself out of sales mm-hmm. because I still do sales in our company. We're all in sales always. At some point, there's going to be somebody you're going to be selling. No, but right? but actually, like going through the process of having, you know, I want right. to close twelve deals this month. Right. I want to lead a sales team. Mm-hmm. I want a super. I want to oversee a sales team, and I want to help grow our – because. Ed Milet says something. He's he's one of my mentors. And I would re- try to remind myself every day, our dream has to be given big enough to fit as many people as possible. Mm. So my dream has to be big enough to fit every single person we have in our shop, every single customer that comes through our doors, every single person that I meet on the street. My dream has to be big enough to fit you inside my dream.
0: Hope you guys heard exactly what this is because I, I think... We're so caught up in a me culture yeah, where it's YOLO, you know, live my best life. Right. And that's why so many people, when they do eventually reach the dream of the Lambo, mm-hmm. it's not as fulfilling because it didn't include bettering other people around you. Yeah, That's huge, Patrick. Yes, sir. Wow, that, that like changes it on pursuing your dreams. Most people look at dreams as their own self-serving goal. Yeah, no. And that's why you still end up empty, mm-hmm. right? How many people that from the outside have everything, they commit suicide? How could you be so distraught when you have everything? You could buy anything, you could do anything, right? Yeah, that's sad. Imagine. I think because the dream is wrong. Yeah, they were doing it for the wrong, I don't know. It's, it's like the ultimate why Yeah. from Simon Sinek, like what is your real purpose? How do you get people to buy into the mission and the vision of your company? When they come in, when they're hired, let's say it could be an electrician, could be a fabricator, um, even an administrative that hasn't been grinding with you, mm-hmm. right? That hasn't come through that, that first phase of when it was, it was gritty and not so pretty.
1: Sell the dream, bro.
0: Mm-hmm. That's how. how. You,
1: every day, sell the dream.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I speak about that dream. Every single meeting that we have.
0: Do you have like a team building meeting every day, or like once a week? Once a or week. Or, yeah.
1: Once a week, and I like to, we have a food truck Friday, every Friday. So everybody at the warehouse, we bring a food truck from Houston and we share a meal together. Mm. So I'll I'll give a little you know, a rah rah speech or whatever, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But let them know, hey, you guys matter. Yeah. And this is not it. What you right. see here, this is not the end. Dream bigger. We're gonna bring you along if you allow us to feed the dream and you believe in us we're going places you can't even imagine. Mm -hmm. So start dreaming bigger. And that's how we do it. That's how I want to do it. We're still working on it. Mm -hmm. And it's going to continue every single day, every single week.
0: People that are habitually successful Mm -hmm. have built a routine in their life. Yeah. What What are a couple of key things that you change in your daily habits and your daily routine that really helps you stay on pace?
1: That's another great question. So... My days are outlined Mm -hmm. for months at a time. I know what I'm doing next week. I know what I'm doing two weeks from now. I know what I'm doing five months from now. It's already on my calendar. I wake up every single day at five o'clock. I practice gratitude every single day. It's one of the most impactful things you can do to change your life. Mm -hmm. I work out every single day. I either practice jiu-jitsu or I go to the gym at 6 a.m. Um, I joined jiu-jitsu about a year ago. I do it on purpose to get myself uncomfortable. I want to be uncomfortable. I want to be challenged. I want to do something that I feel that I suck at mm-hmm. and that I need to get better at because it humbles me. <laughs> you get choked out every single day. And so... I'm going to like entrepreneurship. It's exactly <laughs> like entrepreneurship. So I'm I'm going to Dallas for the week for for a couple of days to be with my Apex brothers and sisters, and I'm taking my ghee with me. I'm going to go find a gym because on Thursdays I usually have a private with my Brazilian Jiu Jitsu professor. I'm not going to be able to do that, but I've found that if I stick to the routine that I have when I'm at home, I feel better, I perform better, I make better decisions, and Obviously, I'm not perfect. There's days that I that I that I miss. but as long as you get back on that horse the following day, you will continue to progress. you will continue to get better and that's what I focus on every single day. So my routine, wake up early. work out, practice gratitude and um, read a book. Read ten pages, at least ten to fifteen pages of a book. Right now I'm reading uh winning by Tim Grover.
0: Yeah, I cannot wait to dive into that book, oh, man. man. It's great, dude. I bought it and I'm like, I I I wanna jump in. It's great. Oh. It's great. And make sure to stick to those habits
1: as much as yeah. possible. Even even if it sucks, you gotta the, do it.
0: There are some days where let's say you're just maybe you had to work pull a late nighter, you had something going on. Um it's easy to get out of that routine. Mm-hmm. Right. There's always a temptation. Yep. But these are non-negotiables for you. Non-negotiables. You're up at five. Up at five. Your gratitude, your workout, even if you go to bed at two. Even if I go to bed at two o'clock in the morning. Okay. So on a, on a, I want to ask you a personal question. Sure. Building this business and the demands that this takes on a daily basis, it's on your brain 24 seven, the demands, the pressures, the desires, the goals, the dreams, How do you take that and then also build your marriage Mm -hmm. and be present for your kids?
1: So being around people that are doing greater things that I'm doing, bigger things that I'm doing, Mm -hmm. they've also been through that. Mm -hmm. So they've shared some tips. Yeah. First thing I do when I walk home is I leave my cell phone in the office Mm -hmm. and I don't touch it for at least an hour. I, or I leave it on the, on the, on the, as soon as I walk in, I just put it down because mm-hmm. if not, I know I'm attached to that phone and I'll stay focused for at least an hour with my kids and my wife. Funny story is I've had date night on my calendar for over a year and I opened up in our group after million dollar mastermind, which is Ryan Stuman's live, live um, event. And we ha- we got to see a lot of speakers, Steve Weatherford Weatherford was there. Yeah, I was on that. I was, yeah. You were online? Yeah. (laughs) Nice. There was amazing guests. Sean Whalen was there. Yeah. And I knew I wasn't living my best life because there's things that I've had on my calendar that I hadn't been doing. One was a relationship with doing the the date night with my wife. Mm. That's something that now is a non-negotiable. We've gone on four, three date nights in a row. Mm. And putting them on my calendar, making sure that I invest the time to build that relationship with my kids and my wife is something that I still struggle with, but I'm working on. And it's putting your phone down, being present, spending time with the kids. The two older kids is the ones that I want to be able to connect with more that I haven't been able to find that rhythm yet. You know what I mean? Mm
0: -hmm. They're older now. It's like they live upstairs and it's like people- It's weird, weird, isn't it? Weird. (laughs) It's like they're not there. We, our minds remember them when we were playing trucks with them. Yeah, and now they, they don't want to be with us. We want to be with them, but we know that we're not cool. Exactly. You know, and that sucks. Yeah. Right. So
1: we're going on vacation. That's something that I build like before going on vacation. Remember when we were just talking when we were talking about money? Mm-hmm. Zero vacations, dude. We mm-hmm. couldn't afford to go anywhere, mm-hmm. or I had to put it on a fucking credit card, and that would stack up. Mm-hmm. So be more present with your kids by putting your phone down. If you're Jim Rome, I listen to Jim Rome every single mm-hmm. day on my way to jujitsu jitsu mm-hmm. or the gym. When you're at work, work. When you're at home, be home. When you're at a hundred percent tilted, be at a hundred percent tilted. <laughs> Just be there, mm-hmm.
0: focus and be present. Mm-hmm. So that's what I try to do every single day. You know, with a lot of demands, things that come up, um, cause clearly jumping into this, uh, This business path is demanding. Mm -hmm. I know for me that if my wife and I are not on the same page, I I am not at my best, and I I'm not I don't have the capacity to give. Yeah, um, because I at home I'm not rooted. Yeah, if something's off at home, I'm off. Oh, it reflects everywhere. Yeah, right. How do you uh, work through that as demands come up and you got to go here, you're going to go there, to where? your wife never feels like she's on the back burner because you got date night, but when you get home, you get home. It's a challenge. Mm -hmm. It's a challenge. Right now, my
1: traveling the next few weeks is going to be intense. Mm -hmm. Next week, I'm going to be in San Diego. At the end of the month, I'm going to be in Nicaragua. Then I got to go to Dallas again for another event. So my wife, I've been prepping her for at least 30 (laughs) days now. And it's reminding her that, Somebody said something, Kurt Lennington actually said this, another Apex brother. He said it in one of the events. They need to know that I want to be where she's at, even though I'm at work, even though I'm at the office, or even though I'm at an event and I'm away from them, I would give anything to be back where they're at. at. Mm -hmm. And that's 100% the truth. Mm -hmm. But know that I don't want to be away from you. These are just things that I'm doing It's going to help us be better. Mm-hmm. And the moment I get the chance to be back, I'll be back. The moment I get the chance to leave work, I'm going to leave work. The moment I get the chance to be with you, I'm going to be there. Just reminder every single day. Mm-hmm. And
0: also, you got to spoil them, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, pops. Uh, he's... Brings his wife flowers every Friday. No He's way. He's been doing it for like 30 years. Wow. I'm going to start doing that. He goes, that's just what I do. Yeah. Right? Exactly. And he goes, I don't miss a Friday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and uh, you know, you think about, it, you, you know, you talk about theory and people talk about building relationships and, you know, growing in a marriage, but I always, I always love to hear how other people are doing it, mm-hmm. you know, because as we're so driven, we want to accomplish so much in life. We also have this relationship of a lifelong partner that no matter what we do, they're there. Yep, they've been with us at our worst. Yep, for sure. Put us in check. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got a Sicilian wife. She will put me in check quicker than I than, than a Ferrari. You wow. know what I mean? Yeah, and it hurts the ego, yep. but she's also right. They'll tell you the truth, bro, <sighs> and the truth hurts, kid. Man, it. It goes deep sometimes. Yes, it does. And I want to be mad, but I can't because I know she's right. Oh, and I'm yeah. like, but i also don't want to say that, <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, and I think that comes with our masculinity, where uh, that alpha part of us, that and we were talking about this the other day. Uh, there seems to be kind of a de-masculi- demasculinization of it's, men. I, I mean, it's weird, dude. I don't know how it's happening, but it's weird. It is weird. You know, I can't put my, I don't have
1: time to focus on it, but I see that. I see it. I see the, the shit, the, the new ads that are out there, guys wearing dresses and not that that there's anything wrong with it, but it's just weird. Mm -hmm. There's, there's, there's not men wearing dresses as in like, there's anything wrong with, you know, transgender people or anything
0: like that, but actually like putting, I I mean, I don't get it, dude. It's, it's, it's a, it's a neutralization right? To to be no different. Uh And that there is a level of that alpha male that's needed. But why, why, why do they do that? I don't know. Why does there need to be a, I honest, I'm honestly really curious. I don't get it. I don't mean, I just don't get it. But then, you know, it's like my, my issues with money growing up where I felt guilty about wanting to make more money. Um, being alpha, sometimes you feel guilty, Mm. right? Like you're almost insensitive, you know? Yeah, I guess. You know, when you maybe you're not in tune with all of your feeling. Not I'm kinda like you, I, I'm 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 a softy. I'm an emotional guy, right? Me too. I love to go in the fields. Um but then because of that, I also know I've learned how to okay, you're getting too much in your feelings and that's guiding your decision making. Yeah. You gotta back off that. Oh yeah. Right? Yeah. Um because I've been kicked in the face too many times from letting my emotions rule my decision making. Self sabotaging myself from emotions. Right. Right. When it had nothing to do with me. Yeah. That's just my reaction. Tim Grover speaks of this a lot mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. making
1: decisions with your emotions instead of letting your actions and logic guide your decision-making.
0: Well, I mean, let's look at it emotionally, emotionally especially when something's painful. Mm-hmm. Our reactions, we want to mitigate that as fast as possible. We don't care how, we just want it over. Yeah. That's that's defensive decision-making. Yep. That's not our best. Yep. Long-term, I mean, there's a reason why the offense are the ones who put the points on the board. Yeah. They're coming on the field knowing we have a plan to win mm-hmm. the defense. We got to try to read to figure out what they're going to do. You're, you're reacting on defense. Yeah. Offense. You're being proactive, right? Yep. But when we get caught up in emotions, I cannot tell you how many times I was talking to a friend of mine. Uh, I, I have this talk a lot the level of self-awareness, like anytime I have an emotional reaction, why don't I just react that way? Yep. Why am I being such a sensitive? Yeah. Right. Am, am I that insecure from my childhood? What happened? Why did I act like that? Bro. You're definitely more self-aware. Than bro up. The, yeah. You know, bro up. Because if somebody's upset, it's not about me. I'm making it about me mm-hmm. by getting upset about it. Mm-hmm. And the more that I allow people what they do to control my emotional and mental state means I'm not in control of me. That's exactly right. Why am I going to give them that control when they don't even know me? Yeah. Why did I wake up so sensitive today? <laughs> you
1: know self-awareness man you're self-aware not everybody mm, has
0: that mm, working on it
1: work well yeah it's <laughs> something that we work on every single day
0: patrick for anybody that has an interest in the food truck business where can they find you
1: at patrick bolanos htx at trailer king builders on instagram mm-hmm and Facebook, they could find us on Facebook too. Mm-hmm. Trailer King Builders and at Patrick Bolanos on Facebook. All my accounts are public, so you can just find and add
0: and interact with me. You are, because you go live a lot. I do. You, almost every you talk day. to people. Yes. Uh-huh, you let people in. Yeah. If you could give people two, two nuggets mm-hmm. in life in general, whatever they're doing to help them become a better version of themselves. If they're feeling stuck and depressed, they feel hopeless or they have a goal, whatever it may be, what would be two nuggets to encourage people? One thing I would do, the first thing I would do,
1: I've said it, I'm going to repeat it again. Practice gratitude. Mm. Start doing it immediately. Mm -hmm. Wake up in the mornings, write down what you're thankful for. It could be anything. Thankful for the glass of water you just had, the oxygen you're breathing, if you do not have gratitude for what you already have, you'll never be grateful for what you want to get. That's one mm. Two. take massive action, take massive action. Don't let the fear and indecision get in your way. If you want to do something, just do it and make it happen. Those are the two things that I would recommend.
0: What would you recommend to any CEO or anybody in in a leadership role of influence who is struggling with uh, their team? What would be an encouraging piece that you would give them of how to how to help shift their team? I would say the first thing I would do
1: is try to be more empathetic with their team, Mm -hmm. figure out what drives them, figure out Mm -hmm. who they are, figure out what their dreams are. Mm -hmm. Ask them, talk to them about their dreams Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and then build off of that.
0: If you have an employee who's struggling with just not being able to get anywhere with their manager or their supervisor or their leader, what would you recommend that them recommend they do?
1: with the employee mm-hmm. um, Reach out, communicate. ask. Mm-hmm. I used to be an employee. I used to manage people. I mean still manage people, but I used you get farther if you ask questions.
0: Mm-hmm. So seek to understand first, not to be understood, correct. If there is any book that somebody should read to literally help them see life in a different way that can set them off to a positive trajectory, what book would that be? Oh,
1: man, I got a long list of books, but anything with Dr. Joe Dispenza, (laughs) anything Dr. Joe Dispenza becoming Mm -hmm. superhuman. I forget the other titles, but start with any of those books. Mm -hmm. They're going to change your life.
0: Guaranteed. And if they don't call me. This episode of 100% Tilted brought to you by Trailer King Builders and Dr. Joe Dispenza. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Joe Dispenza is awesome, dude. Patrick, my man, thank you for coming today. Thank you for having me. It's been a blast, dude. Thank you for letting people in thank you building a business and just life and growing that as a man. And I really do appreciate just you being here and taking your time and your very busy schedule. But thank you, man.
1: I appreciate you, bro. Yeah, you too, Thanks for having me.
0: Guys, thank y'all. Remember to go check him out at Trailer King Builders. And check out and follow what he's doing. This guy, you want to you want to follow a guy that, that is grinding, follow Patrick. Let's go. Guys, we'll see you on the flip side.